Welcome to the Conscious Clinician Podcast. We have honest conversations about the triumphs and challenges of pelvic health physical therapy. Each week, we bring you inspiration and practical tips to thrive in your work. And now, here's your hosts, Dr. Monica Stefanovich and Dr. Sammy Steele. Welcome to episode two. Today, we want to talk to you about this underlying subliminal script in our healthcare system. See if this sounds familiar to you. You, the patient, came here to see me, the expert. Not only will I tell you what is wrong, I will also tell you how to fix it. If this doesn't work, it's probably because you didn't do it correctly or you're making something up. That does not sit well with me, Monica. (laughs) (laughs) Me neither, Sammy. (laughs) Just to be clear, this is not something that I have heard people say explicitly. I've heard this implicitly, and I have recognized this by looking back at all the years of healthcare training that I've had, which focus on problem and solution, and with all of the doctors that I have ever seen most of the doctors that I have ever seen. It's problem solution oriented. Definitely. And that's how our healthcare system is set up. We have this very short amount of time to work with people. We have a problem that they're bringing to us and we are seen as the experts and it's our responsibility to figure out what's wrong and fix it in a timely manner. And that's a hierarchy. You know, what I don't resonate with in this situation is that the patient needs to come to us because we're the gatekeepers of healing and wellness and that we understand their bodies better than they do. They live in their bodies for years. And even though I'm trained to understand anatomy, physiology, neurology, exercise dosing, I can't replicate their experience and I can't tell them this is the way you have to interpret your experience. I think that's a really unfair burden to put on a healthcare provider, whereas we have to fix the problem. So all of our interactions are intensified because insurance wants us to have measurable outcomes. Patients want to get better. That's just normal. And we are trying to do everything under the sun to get them better. It's really breaks the equilibrium of any thriving relationship. And in that context, it's not really a healthy relationship. It's a directive relationship. The patients lose all of their autonomy and their responsibility in their own care. It becomes all about, I know you better than you know you, and I'm going to tell you what you have to do, even if it doesn't fit with your life, with what your goals are, or with what your values are. And it just doesn't feel like the type of relationship that we all hope to have with our clients that actually produces healing and wellness and connection. Right. And I remember, Sammy, the moment we started really challenging this system back, gosh, six, seven months ago now. And it came about during a mentoring session. And we talked about carrying the patient up the mountain. So this started what we fondly call the mountain metaphor now, where you are the provider. And as the provider, you're the trail guide. And the patient is the hiker. And together, you are both going on a trail, on a journey, 
towards some summit, which every summit will be different from person to person. And I remember the power of this metaphor because we were talking about how you can't be the pack mule that's trying to load the patient up and drag them up this 10,000 foot mountain. You are the Sherpa. You are not the mule. The patient is coming to you because they're enlisting your help. They realize that you have a certain set of skills that they don't have, but it doesn't mean that you are directing. It's that you're a consultant, right? So they're hiring you to say, hey, I don't really know how to summit Mount Everest. I want to get up that mountain. That's my goal. Help me figure out what skills I need, what equipment I need, what I need to do to reach that goal. And that's a much more collaborative process than, hey, I'm going to drag your ass up this mountain. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right, right. And when we reimagine the patient and provider roles in this way, I find that it's so much easier to break down the pitfalls within our relationship. One of the responsibilities for a great Sherpa or guide, I like the word Sherpa, I'm really fond of that, <laughs> just that visual image. As a Sherpa, it is my responsibility to have at least a vague map of this terrain that we're going into. And that means when someone's coming in with a specific type of pain or disorder, I need to understand that to the best of my ability and to have an idea of how we might proceed together. I think that's pitfall number one, is not understanding the terrain that you're walking and not understanding how you're going to go from base camp to the summit. I think when a provider doesn't know that, it's going to be harder to work with the patient. Now, you don't need to know step by step by step, but you need to understand the process of how you're going to go. What that really speaks to is just your technical skills, right? The true base of all of this is that you need to have the basic proficiency as a provider with your treatments and interventions and plan in order to treat whatever condition they're coming in for. You need to have that roadmap. You need to understand the terrain. But right. once we've got that part, this analogy starts expanding into other areas that are beyond what we're learning in school or in the residency with the technical training, right? And I think the next part is assessing your hiker. A great Sherpa is going to look at the person who shows up and do their best to figure out, is this realistic? So imagine this, you are the Sherpa, you're scaling Mount Everest, and the person who booked you for this climb shows up. And they show up in flip-flops with a 32-ounce water bottle, and you know that you've got a 10,000-foot mountain ahead of you. <laughs> you are going to immediately look at that person and be directive and say, hey, we got to get you some good equipment. You need boots. You need the right socks. You need a backpack. You need snacks. And I think this speaks to assessing our clients physically and emotionally for their readiness of a hike, right? We've yeah. all had the person who comes in for what seems like a pretty basic condition. Let's just say urinary incontinence to keep it simple, right? But using this metaphor, we realize they're under intense amount of stress. 
This person is hardly sleeping because they've got a newborn baby. They don't have anyone else to help them take care of this child. They are not taking care of their nutrition. Their mental health is really struggling. So this is the person coming in with flip-flops. They're not ready, right? And it's okay, I think, to still work with them, but we would have different expectations. We're not going to get to the top of this summit in six to eight weeks. You know, we're going to have to spend some time getting base camp ready and seeing if we can get the equipment we need to start the journey. So I think it's essential that we're assessing our co-hiker because we're taking this journey together. If someone is unsafe and unprepared, it's going to make it a tough journey for both of us until they get what they need. The, the mental health baggage that people can often bring along with them on this hike can be something that, if not addressed, they're going to lug that up the mountain. And you may end up carrying some of that as their provider, too. Mm-hmm. And it speaks to having a team with you, right? Usually when you're going up a 10,000 foot mountain, it's not just two people. There's the Sherpa, there is the person who's going to actually trying to reach the top. And then you've got the whole team to set up base camp and support you. And I think we can't practice in isolation if we want to be healthy, resilient hikers. We need people to help us unpack this luggage or pack the right equipment. That's where your psychologist comes in. That's where having a medical provider that you can refer to that you trust. That's where your functional medicine, your urogynecology, your pain psychologist. I mean, the list can go on and on. We're not trying to name all of them, but we would have people on the team to help us make this ascent. Rare is it that we can make an ascent alone, even if the ascent is them having a friend with them, you know, the friend that's going to go to the gym with them a few times a week or their walking buddy or their emotional support person or even their mom flying in to care for the baby for a couple weeks so they can get into a better state. I mean, we would have other people with us on the journey. And I think it's essential that we are always assessing for that. If I'm going to create a more direct line between this assessing your hiker's readiness, it's basically assessing for psychosocial factors, right? We pay a lot of lip service to this, I think, in our training. Assess for psychosocial factors. But what does that truly mean? Well, if you have someone that shows up to this hike and they haven't dealt with some of these things, is it going to be realistic, these exercises that you're prescribing for them? Is it going to be realistic for them to show up to their appointments on time? Are they going to have childcare? Are they going to be in a good mental place or have enough sleep to show up and do what you're asking of them? I think that if we're going to truly take into account psychosocial factors, we really need to recognize this stuff and help the patient create a plan and build our team. I think it's all about assembling the right team and assembling the right gear before you try to take on a big climb. Yes. And that comes back to us as the Sherpa and our client as the hiker with us. And I think this is the other beautiful, I think this is the other beautiful part of our 
metaphor is that each hiker is going to have their own experience with hiking. They're going to have their own equipment, their own destination in mind, and overall their own intrinsic capabilities, physical, mental, spiritual, that they bring to the journey. We can harp on the people who are not prepared. I think those are pretty easy to spot. (laughs) But I also want to give a huge acknowledgement to all the patients who have come in that I've worked with who have been hikers that are so much more prepared than I understood, who have some of these resources that they can draw on, who I'm also learning from as we make the ascent together. When you're a hiker, you have to be willing to hike. And I'm laughing here because I cannot overstate how much this is usually overlooked in physical therapy, at least in my practice. But from mentoring residents for a few (laughs) years now, I got to say this is like a pretty entry-level mistake is we assume that if you showed up to the trailhead, you're going to do the hike. Or that you want to do the hike. <laughs> or that you want to do the hike. And those are kind of easy to yeah. spot, right, Sammy? Those are your people who you get and they're like, I don't know why I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, my doctor told me to come in and they they don't want to hike is essentially the problem. I, I'm not even mad at them. I'm not worried about compliance because I think nobody told them they were in for a hike. It's like their doctor dropped them off at the entry of the trailhead with this referral and was like, yeah, go do the thing. You know, this person maybe wasn't (laughs) even ready for a hike, didn't even want to do a hike, and is now here. So we've got that part. I think that's pretty basic and speaks to itself. The majority of the people where this is really tough with is the person who shows up, who says, I want to be there, And then you're trying to hike and you look back and they don't want to hike. Like (laughs) They are not coming with you, but they show up to the appointments, but they're showing up late. And you ask them, hey, how is the last week, couple weeks, you know, six months sometimes. And you figure out that they weren't willing to do the work. Maybe they didn't understand that they had to do this level of work. Maybe they expect that you're supposed to do the work for them. I also think that a lot of patients maybe were prepared for a one mile hike and then they showed up and it was a 10 mile hike and it was all uphill and through the snow, right? Maybe we're asking them to do exercises that are much more physically demanding than they expected. Maybe we're asking them to deal with parts of their body that they didn't realize would be so triggering for them to deal with. We're asking them to do quite a bit and they maybe expected something different and now they're not up for it. Right. And I think that's a great segue into the next part of the metaphor, which is our plan of care and reimagining our plan of care as a map and as a journey. Our plan of care traditionally has felt like something very static, prescriptive, very stepwise and logical and and linear. And we all know that it's not. I think we've all explained to our patients, it's one step forward, it's two steps back, it's up and down. I mean, there's all different ways to say the same thing. When we think of it like a journey and a hike to a summit, I think it becomes more robust and realistic. 
of this well-being journey that we're embarking on. And you may reach one summit, realize you want to go further. You may originally come in because you don't want to have pain with sex. And then you realize as we're hiking that actually what you want is to experience pleasure in your body. And and that's a different summit that you didn't think of, right? And if we think of this as a journey, that's not like a failure that we rediscovered a new goal or that we have to switch gears, but rather we can think of it as an unraveling, as an experience that changes us because we decided to embark on the experience. When we allow ourselves to look at this process as a journey and not a prescriptive plan, it allows us to also reflect on what our status is with the patient. How are they doing? How tired are they? Did you give them too many things to do? Are they exhausted and need to set up camp for the night? Can they go another six miles? Do they have blisters all over their feet because their hiking shoes weren't great? It's a constant process of checking in. In our traditional plan of care, we often think about it as this linear process, whereas when we come up with this journey analogy, we can think about it more as a constant process of checking in where we know what our goal is, but we want to pace ourselves and get there in a way that feels comfortable for everybody. Right. Because if we were hiking, Sammy, you and I would be hiking together. Like we wouldn't just sit off and you would decide, hey, I'm going to go on this trail and I'm going to go do my thing and you better keep up. I I mean, that's not how hiking works, right? If we're going to go together, we're going to naturally go as fast as the slowest person on the team. And that could be the patient and that could sometimes be the provider. I think another pitfall is sometimes we are going a bit too slow. We're underdosing people who need more intense exercises. And we're saying, no, 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 we got to go really slow over this part. And they're saying, but I want to run with leakage. How is a laying down Kegel going to help me with that? I've been doing that for weeks. That is so true. That's a a tangent I could get off on (laughs) on an entirely different podcast. (laughs) I think that that is that is absolutely the case that I've had a lot of hikers who are excited and they want to run ahead. And I'm I'm saying, wait, hold on, don't go that far. And maybe instead of putting the brakes on things, I say, okay, let's run ahead. Let's just turn left here instead of right. You're guiding the, the hiking process versus putting the brakes on everything. Because it's not really that fun to hike with somebody who's dragging their feet and going slower than you want to go. We can't expect our patients to stay engaged with us if we're constantly giving them these exercises that are boring and not what they came for, not the experience that they wanted. Yeah. And I think a great hike is one where there's a dialogue. I'm a talker. You know, we started a podcast for a reason. (laughs) So I I love when we have a sense of communication. And when I think about my best hikes with people, yes, we reached some type of summit, but we enjoyed the journey together. I would share with them, here's what's ahead of us. Here's what I know about this condition or this aspect of well-being, or here's what I know about how the nervous system works when people are in pain. 
these are common obstacles that we're probably going to face on this trailhead. How do you on this trail want to handle it? Do we go left? Do we go right? Do we pause for a while here? And when we're interacting back and forth in that way, it makes it so much more fun for all of us. Ultimately, it helps them to understand the terrain because I hope that one day they don't need me as a guide and they can say to me, you know, I think my map is pretty clear at this point. Personally, I think this applies a lot when it comes to chronic pain or just pain in general is getting to a point where we're not saying, okay, now you live at the top of Mount Everest, which is like being (laughs) pain-free, right? I mean, you might get there, you might ascend to that point. Maybe some people live there, but I think the majority of us go to the summit, come back down, go to the summit, come back down. And each time we do the hike, we do it for a different reason. We learn something else about it. And I hope that with my patients, they get to a point where they don't need me to be there, to always tell them, do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. And that they can understand this space that they inhabit. And they call me back if needed because, you know, they might find that the old thing isn't working anymore or that they actually want to go somewhere else. Like they've been here for a while, they've been living here, but now this other part of the map just showed up for them. They had their second baby and there's a whole new part of the map to go explore and we can do that together. I love the analogy of we're not spending our entire life on top of the summit. I think that one of my goals, right, is to have people be self-sufficient and have them not need to come and see me anymore and have them know how to manage a flare-up and feel confident with their own bodies. I almost think about that as a form of wilderness training, right? So you are someone who's educating your patient on the possible pitfalls of being out in the wilderness. And, you know, in in this analogy, the wilderness is their pain experience. And they might encounter bears. They might encounter stream crossings where they get their boots totally soaked. Or they might have to learn how to build a fire. But once you've taught them these skills over time, they're going to feel more and more confident maybe exploring further going on a longer hike, trying something different and trying something new and not necessarily needing you. This analogy also allows us to do that patient education and give people those skills versus being prescriptive and telling somebody that you need me to make you better. We want to get away from that narrative. We want to get away from that I'm fixing you narrative and hand them something that's more empowering. Absolutely. So I think this metaphor is really powerful because it clarifies our responsibilities and boundaries. And personally, it has helped me become so much more compassionate towards myself and towards my clients. You know, I think one of my biggest struggles as a provider is self-criticism, being very hard on myself, being perfectionistic, thinking I'm the only one who's struggling with this type of patient or in pelvic PT, that's the trap I fall into. When I think of this metaphor and I reflect on a case that I have or am having some difficulty with and I put it into the words of the mountain analogy, the mountain metaphor, it's like I could be so much kinder to myself because when I think about all the times I had a new client and it's like, I didn't have a map, right? 
I did not know how to work with this person. Or when I started treating someone who had scleroderma and was coming in for urinary incontinence, it's like my map wasn't equipped for this mountain. I I didn't understand how that was going to factor in. And I had to go back in and make a new map with them, essentially. So the mountain metaphor and reflection help me to enjoy the journey. They help me to be kinder on the journey. They help me to take responsibility for what is mine and what is my hikers. Sometimes we are going over terrains where it is scary to look down or to look behind you. And it helps me to be a part of this process in a way that feels a lot more true, a lot more beautiful. To use Glennon Doyle's words, what is most true and beautiful for you in this situation? When I think of the hiking analogy, I can think of the best version of myself as a provider, and I can work towards that in a way that feels supportive, that feels engaging, that feels freeing, that doesn't feel like I'm pigeonholed into some type of box. So for me, I think that's how it's helped reduce the emotional labor that goes into some of the work that we do, and it helps me to be one step removed from that process in a really healthy way where I'm observant and responsive at my best, which, you know, sometimes I definitely am prescriptive and fixing because it's so easy to go there. It's so what I was trained in. So this is really helping me to be a more conscious provider. The way that this mountain analogy has helped me in my practice is that it's taken a lot of the burden off of my shoulders. When I finally heard that comparison of myself as the Sherpa, I realized I've been the pack mule for so long. And not only have people been handing me their packs and saying, you carry this up the mountain for me, but I've been asking for it. I've been saying, give me your pack. I'll carry this for you. I'm going to haul all of your crap up the mountain. And I'm going to burn myself out and exhaust myself in the process. And I didn't even realize that's what was happening until I started framing things in this way. And when I could take a step back and think of myself as a guide and not as a pack mule, my job became so much more enjoyable because now I can sit and be present, hear what somebody's telling me, think about the ways that my skills might help them and think about ways that I can give them skills that they can use on themselves. But I don't have to feel like it is my job to fix them passively. And I think that's the biggest gift that this analogy has given me. And it's something that I think about every single day with every single patient. Truly, I believe that once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah, this is one of those glass breaking moments where to anyone who's listening, this is your first time. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry because you are going to be totally uncomfortable identifying this all over the place and all over your clinical practice. When I first saw this, 
it changed so much. And it was very, very uncomfortable at first because I didn't quite have the tools to implement what I needed to change using this metaphor. And Sammy and I plan on diving into some of those tools that have helped us and try to get a bit more practical in other episodes as well. But today we got real woo-woo. We got into the (laughs) metaphor. We're probably going to reference this, gosh, I don't know, Sammy, all the time. We already do. (laughs) (laughs) We already do. It's part of our language. So this is a glass shattering moment. Once you've heard this, yep, Sammy, you can never go back. If this is your first time hearing it, we are not sorry for shattering the glass on you because this is going to be challenging, but immensely gratifying. I remember when I first started using this metaphor and Sammy, when we first started using it together, it's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable because you know something needs to change and yet you don't have the practical steps for what to do next. We do hope to bring that to you. We do have plans to talk about some of the tools and the ways that we approach working with this metaphor analogy in our actual clinical practice. So stay tuned. Come back in for that. If you've already been practicing this way, and this resonates, or you have an addition to it, we would love to hear from you about how this has helped, how you are using this, what other part of the metaphor you've developed. Please share that with us. Find us on Instagram, find us on Facebook, comment on the podcast in a review. Let us know if this is hitting home. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Let's keep the conversation going on Instagram at The Conscious Clinician and Facebook backslash The Conscious Clinician. Links are in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and write a review for the podcast to grow our community. Stay conscious, everyone.